I was presiding at a funeral a few months ago, and the woman, the young woman who had lost her love, her husband, the father of her child, was sitting throughout the whole service, completely on her own. Occasionally her wee child would wiggle up for a cuddle, but then would quickly slip away to play with friends on the floor. This woman had a mother and a father and a sister, and she had to all the family of the man whom she had married and loved and lost, but she sat alone, her grief so icy, so numbing, that no one was brave enough to grab her and break through her rage and to hold on, to hold on, to hold her. I was reminded of this widow this week as I read the story of a very young woman running to tell her unexpected news to a very old woman. And the text is super clear about how when Mary gets to Elizabeth, she pours out her wonder as a song and as a holding of hands and as a secret shared and as a miracle. And Elizabeth's response is the response of a true friend in that she feels her young cousin's wonder with such empathy that her own newly conceived child leaps and flutters in her own womb. It is the response of great joy, a great holding and a great love. And this made me think of female friendship and about friendship in general and of how precious it is. To have someone that we can talk to, to have someone to whom we can run when our heart is leaping or breaking and of how to be in community is a holy and healing and precious thing. Imagine if Mary had not had Elizabeth to turn to. Imagine if she had been completely on her own. Joseph's freaking out, her parents are angry and appalled. The community It's ready to rip this young woman into a thousand tiny pieces, but instead she has her friend. Christmas is hard, isn't it? For many of us, and when we think of those no longer here, the mother, the son, the husband, we think of those who perhaps have never been here, the longed-for partner, the child, a close friend. And we may feel that there is no one to whom we can run with all our news and our terror, our scandal, our mistakes or our joy. We often hear about how Mary is blessed, blessed, the word blessing meaning gift. Mary is gifted with a child. This is true. Such a gift could have shown her to be outcast or killed, publicly shamed, hidden away. So why? Why gift? Two reasons, perhaps. Firstly, Mary feels that this babe growing within her womb has the potential to change the world. She believes in her baby. She believes her baby to be part of the good and so she will fight for this child. Secondly, she refuses to be shamed by the culture of her day and she demands that everyone step up and be part of God's story. Everyone, her parents and Joseph and her cousin. We are so used to this story We forget how extraordinary this young woman is and how radical the writers are that allowed her story to be told. So let's think about that for a minute. Why are these nativity narratives so essential according to the writers of Matthew and Luke and yet so unimportant according to the writers of Mark and John? Mark who begins the earliest gospels with the stories of John the Baptist and John who starts the story with the word. 
John, whose gospel was the last to be written and could therefore be seen to be having perhaps the final word on what matters and what doesn't. Evangelical scholar and priest N.T. Wright and progressive professor and lecturer Marcus Borg co-wrote a popular book on the historical Jesus. In it, they explore the work of the biblical writers and offer two different understandings. Wright speaks of the nativity stories as historicised metaphor and Borg speaks of them as being remembered history. N.T. Wright believes that Matthew and Luke truly believe that Jesus was conceived by divine intervention and so we should believe this too. Whereas Borg is just as clear that Mary was a young woman who became pregnant by the usual methods and who happened to be incredibly brave in carrying her pregnancy forward in such a dark historical time. In the words of progressive theologian John Shelby Spong, the virgin birth should no longer be taken literally, but this does not mean that in the life of Jesus there was not a literal experience of the living God. Because God is not limited to one place or one time or one culture, and so while we do believe that the Spirit of God was pleased to dwell fully in Jesus of Nazareth, this does not mean that the Spirit of God did not dwell anywhere else or in any other time. Certainly the Spirit of God did seem to be dwelling in Mary. And because of her saying yes to this dwelling, this indwelling, extraordinary things did and do happen. Now let's go back for a moment to loneliness and to friendship. In the Nativity story, an angel tells Mary that she is to have a baby. And even though she is afraid, she says yes. Now let's just imagine for a moment that we take Marcus Borg's side and that we recognise that Mary had probably got pregnant by Joseph and was now feeling afraid because they were not married. So how did she go from terror to proactive, extraordinary joy? Maybe, okay, go with me here, maybe because she was visited by an angel. Remembering my postmodern scientific friends that angels take many shapes. Angel from the Latin angelus, from the Greek angelos, literally messenger, or envoy, one that announces. And the good news that the angel announced to her was not so much that she was pregnant, which she already knew, but that God was with her and in her and in this child. And maybe this messenger broke through the loneliness of this young girl and gave her the courage to be the extraordinary mother that she was. And maybe, just maybe, angels are all around us. And some of them are very scruffy, it's true, and sometimes they may appear as a glance in the mind or a bird in a tree or a whisper on the wind or simply a small child saying, look. Two days ago I was in my study and I was feeling completely overwhelmed overwhelmed and anxious about a decision I was making about moving my girls from their beloved old primary school to a new one which is closer and I was going over and over the decisions that we had made in my head and I was full of fear will we be doing the right thing should we stay where we are have I ruined everything the only person I wanted to talk to was my mother but my mother had died a year ago and I could not talk to her at least not in the usual way as part of my father's aged care package, he gets a cleaner, a lovely older Australian woman who is a mum and a grandma, and she's very kind to my dad. 
And she came into the study and she asked me how everything was going and, and I said something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of emotion in the house because of the girls moving schools. And I said it very casually, very lightly. But she, she looked me in the eye and she said, everything is going to be okay. The most important thing is that your girls know that they are loved. It will all work out. The new school is going to be fine. And then she said, Oh, sweetheart, you're a wonderful mum. And then she squeezed my hand and she went back to mopping and I stood there, my heart flooded with peace and my mouth open. We had never spoken to each other in such an intimate way before, but she said exactly what I needed to hear, and she said exactly what my mum would have said. We all need someone to run to. And sometimes, even when it feels like there is no one there, we, as folk of faith, we know that there is. But it takes a radical, counter-cultural leap to believe it. And then to say yes, oh yes, yes to the angels that are all around us. <laughs>